Hello and welcome. My name is Lloyd and I'm going through the Book of Acts, looking at the story, the life, the happenings of this early church, the church that was formed just after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected and then ascended back to heaven and the Holy Spirit poured out. And what did his people do after he had ascended back to heaven? There was much activity. Today we're looking at chapter 9, which is a very important chapter in the book of Acts. It talks about the conversion of Saul. So let's read it out. Chapter 1, sorry, chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. <clears throat> so we move on from chapter 8, where we were looking at the remarkable story of Philip and Samaria, and also on the desert road where the Ethiopian eunuch had received Jesus and shortly thereafter been baptized. And now we move on to probably the most significant and important conversion of the early church. Saul, who becomes Paul. He was that great enemy of the early church. He was that great enemy of Jesus himself in the very act of persecution brought to his senses, awakened, blinded so that he could see. This single event has a massive impact of global importance and significance for the early church and for the church of today because of, because of its expansion to the Gentiles and around the world. Saul, or Paul, will be this, one of the single largest contributors to the New Testament. And he'll become the strongest, most uh, vocal proponent and most prominent preacher of the early church. This conversion is related three times. It's described, then it's repeated, and then it's repeated again. So let's dig in now into how on earth Saul became Paul. And this is one of the wonders of this world, one of the wonders of the early church. So it says, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Remember, he had murdered, he had been standing responsible at the murder, the stoning, the public execution of Stephen. 
He's still breathing those threats against them. He went to the high priests now and asks them for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if found any belonging to the way, those who follow Jesus, men or women, he might bind them and bring them to Jerusalem. So before his conversion, Saul was not a very nice person, not a very promising character when you think of what he's going to become. Though he was obviously promising in the eyes of the religious elite in terms of the system, he looked very promising. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a model Pharisee. He was in such religious and legalistic darkness that he's actually persecuting, murdering the very people that he's meant to be serving, teaching, leading, shepherding. But as we shall see, no one is safe from the reaches of the gospel, from the grasp of Jesus, the Redeemer. Everyone is susceptible to the power of Jesus' everlasting love, unconditional love. Paul didn't deserve anything that happens in this chapter. This chapter overwhelmingly describes the grace of God, the sovereign power of a God who loves, that reaches even to God-hating, church-persecuting, evil people. That's the love of God. Paul does not decide to follow Jesus. Rather, or if anything, he has chosen to persecute Jesus' people and ultimately Jesus himself. Since we saw Saul in chapter 7, responsible for the death of Stephen, being prayed for by Stephen even as he died, he's not changed one bit except maybe he's even worse now. He's more filled with hatred, more angry, more enraged. He, he has this firm drive to crush this church of Jesus, this Messiah who died and who says that he's alive. You might say that he's become a savage beast, intent only on murder, destruction, violence, killing, jailing, everything that he puts his mind to is just to stop this church. It is hard to visualize a more remarkable change, therefore, that this wild animal of a man will in a few days, or by the middle of this chapter, he'll become a totally new creation. And this is actually what happens to each one of us. It's very remarkable for Saul because it's so clear, it's so public, it's so obvious. But for each one of us, this is the exact same thing that happens. We go from darkness to light. None of us come into this world good or pure or, or holy. We come in evil and sinful with our hearts bent. None of us seeks for God. None of us seeks to do right. And then God, God moves upon us and we become this new creation. So back to Saul. Before he even reaches his destination, Damascus, he will, in fact, have a new heart. He'll have a totally different direction in his life. He will not only have a new heart after this mighty intervention from Jesus, but his whole worldview, everything that he stood to up this moment, is going to change. So right now, Saul has letters in his hands that allow him to persecute the early church. His heart's intent, his desire is to crush this early church. This early church, which is in Damascus, 
where it spread from Jerusalem because of the persecution that he unleashed on Stephen in chapter 7. So he's persecuting those who belong to the way and Jesus describes himself as the way. So these are his people, these are Jesus' people that Saul is after. But to Saul, the church were just a deviant, abhorrent group of people who are undermining the authority of the established church, the religious establishment, the Jewish system, the synagogues. That's all he saw them as. So Saul's desire is to bind these wayward, ungodly believers who are in his way and bring them back to Jerusalem. So we will see how God's reach and his work extend far beyond the walls of the church, right to the very doorstep of the enemies of the gospel. No one is safe from the reach of the gospel, from the overpowering love of Christ. Let's hear that again. No one at all, not even you listening to this, are safe from the reach of the gospel of Christ, from the overpowering love of Christ. So it says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, that place that he wants to, that church he wants to absolutely obliterate. And suddenly a light from heaven shines all around him. Saul is very close to his prey. He's almost at the point where he wants to pounce onto this vulnerable church, this unsuspecting church. So close to unleashing his imprisonment, his murder, his hatred on this early church. And once again, but God. That great statement where God just comes in and changes the narrative, changes the story. God intervenes and stops this harmful narrative and introduces a very different outcome. It says, suddenly, God breaks in quickly, unexpectedly, swiftly, powerfully, without any warning, God just pounces on that evil man who's thinking of pouncing on the church. God pounces first. Saul is startled by this light brighter than the midday sunshine. And that's of the Middle East, a very bright sun. And God is brighter than that even. He's blanketed with light, surrounded, apprehended, held first, fast, held almost like in a grip, yet such a gentle grip, as we shall see. It was a fence. It was almost a force, almost like an army coming against him. But it was just light, something so gentle. God just stopped him. The invisible power of God halts this wild animal, Saul, in his tracks. And he says he fell, fell to the ground and he, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Saul falls to the ground and the next thing he hears his name being called and a question being asked. Commonly in the Bible, those who are confronted by God fall to the ground. And we see here Saul is no exception. He's on the ground. He's not condemned, punished, routed. Just asked a question. So gentle. Notice how gentle God is sometimes. He just questions this ruthless persecutor of the church. And yet these simple, gentle questions are enough to absolutely break him, crush him, undo him. This is the voice, the question of one 
who is after Saul's heart. He's after his restoration, he's after his repentance. He has better things for Saul. Saul has convinced himself that he fights a holy and righteous war against this persecuted church, the followers of Jesus. Now he hears the voice of Jesus and a question for Saul about his motives. <clears throat> Why? In this question, suddenly Saul is undone, absolutely undone. All along, the weak and forlorn people of God, those meek followers of Jesus, were actually right. They were actually correct. And Saul, this proud, arrogant Pharisee, was in the wrong. And he was so far off the mark. What a shock to him to suddenly realize that he's been so wrong for so long. He is actually persecuting the church. Yes, but that also means that he's persecuting Jesus himself. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus asked. And Saul responds, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's Jesus is clarifying it. You're persecuting the church, but that's persecuting me. So Saul asks the voice who he is. But he almost answers his own question when he answers the voice, Lord. When he addresses that voice as Lord or Sir, or even if you look in the Greek, it's more like the name of God himself. He actually answers his own question. And the voice responds just to confirm that, I am Jesus. And suddenly in that moment, Saul's entire world collapses. His theology, everything he's based his belief system on, his purpose, his pedigree, his, his Jewishness, all of that collapses in one moment all around him. All that he stood for, all that his life had been about up to that point in time is all unwound. It becomes worthless in an instant. And he later describes this moment and how his previous life was, was so, was, was like a loss. It wasn't, there was no gain to us, his life. He says like a loss. He described it as used menstrual cloth. He said it's so useless, you can't use it for anything else. It's dirty, it's rubbish. He said his life was rubbish before he met Jesus. If Jesus was real and really Messiah and God, then his legalistic religious efforts were filthy rags. Nothing. In fact, worse than nothing. Not only did the answer destroy Saul, it also rebuilt him, reconstructs him from the very foundations. That Jesus, he was publicly executed. Probably Saul was there watching as well. That Jesus, he was executed, was actually alive and was now actually addressing Saul, talking to him. The one he doubted would even existed is now talking to him. The one he rejected and supposed was a fake was more real than anything else. But importantly, Jesus has not rejected Saul. Though Saul has rejected and denied Jesus and persecuted his followers, Jesus is after Saul's heart. If we are rejected by Jesus, if we are rejected by God, that is the horror of horrors. 
That is hell itself. A place where God never speaks again, never pursues the lost, where repentance is no longer possible, where sin has no redeemer, where forgiveness can never happen. That is hell itself. But for Saul, his salvation, his glory, his, his Jesus pursued him and struck him down. Jesus has reached into the very heart of Saul, a place no one else can reach. God alone can save. God alone can reach into the dark recesses of an unforgiven heart and bring light and life and rebirth. And he's doing that right now. And this shows us that there's absolutely no point, there's no success in trying to oppose God and his work. Saul has just discovered that. And this is what Jesus says, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. So Jesus has work for Saul. He'll be going to Damascus, which is where he was going already. But this time he's going under new management with a new heart, with a new Lord. It's a totally different Saul. Same place, different Saul, different, different Lord. He had been pretty much arriving at Damascus. He enters now into the city, into an almost entirely new world. It looks so different. Everything's now upside down to what it was before, or the right way up. He has a new life, an altogether different realm, you might say, for he's now entering, he's now entered the kingdom of God. And he will now be used, rather, rather than destroying it, but to extend it and build up the very kingdom that he sought to destroy previously. So instead of entering the city proud and arrogant, religious, Saul will enter blind, but incredibly beginning to see for the first time, humbled, broken, and alive to the things of God for the very first time. All his life up till now was death and darkness and gloom. And he has tasted his very first gasp of fresh air, of eternal life, of, of the redeemed life that Jesus has for those who are lost. Jesus said that, the, that Satan came to steal, kill and destroy, but that he came to give life and eternal life. And Saul has just tasted that now. So he who had proudly given commands to other soldiers, to other religious people before he had called the shots, he had ruled the church. He's now going to learn about being under authority, about obeying. Jesus has given him his first command, go into the city. And, he's, and it's without a moment's delay. He's to get up immediately, he's to rise and go get these fresh instructions in the city of Damascus, the very place that he was going to go and persecute. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. So the whole event is over in a few moments, but it seems like it's only, only affecting Saul. Him amongst this crowd of Pharisees and the, the crowd that's going to persecute the church, but just Saul is touched. None of those around him know what's going on. Just like Jesus when he strode into the, the colonnade where the, the invalid had sat near the pool of Bethesda and Jesus healed just one man 
but left the rest. Here, Jesus intervenes into the life of Saul, but leaves the rest of the crowd untouched, unmoved. He plucks them, so to speak, out of the flames and leaves the rest. So God has his mysterious ways. We can just watch and observe and be amazed that God would save any, including a Saul. And the next book we're going to cover after the book of Acts will be Romans, where we, dis we, we will discuss in more detail and explore God's sovereignty over our lives, God's freedom to make choices and to choose people and to reject others. And sometimes that can be quite a difficult message, it can be quite hard to understand, but we need to really get underneath the Word of God, let the Word of God flow over us and inform us rather than the culture around us. So Jesus never complained about his persecution when he was alive. You don't hear Jesus grumbling on the way to the cross. But he always takes up the cause of his innocent persecuted people. He's not happy when his people are persecuted and he takes up the matter with the soul. Why are you persecuting my people? When the people of God are hurt, Jesus feels it. Saul thought that the early church was just a silly bunch of poor, weak, worthless people. Now he saw that the people that he was persecuting were in fact the apple of God's eye, his precious ones, his treasured possessions, those that he had died for. So all along, Saul was insulting, murdering, imprisoning the people who God favoured, loved, adored, died for, and even the Saviour himself. Many will be surprised on that last day that they had persecuted not just a small ragtag bunch of people, seemingly worthless in the world, but rather they had been persecuting the ruler of heaven and earth. And that will be a terrifying moment for anyone. But Saul's case is not hopeless. He is not cast out. Though he has cast others out, though he has killed others, God is not done with Saul. So Saul arises from the ground and although his eyes were, not, were, were opened, he saw nothing. So people had to lead him to Damascus, that place which he was forging ahead to get to. He has to be led, blinded but seeing with new spiritual eyes. I once was blind but now I see you are so true for Saul. He sees not at all, but he sees perfectly. And he's led, humiliated, humbled by the hand into the city whose church he had been seeking to destroy. Now it will be that very church who he was seeking to destroy who will be responsible for his sight and his restoration and his bringing into the church. Saul is so hopeless he must be held by the hand, led like a donkey, blind into the city. And then for three days he had no sight and he fasted. Saul begins a fast. His life had absolutely collapsed around him. He starts by praying and seeking the one that he has so long rejected and ignored. The entire direction of his life has been radically altered, turned upside down. He has been uprooted and now must begin by talking to Jesus. Prayer, that most fundamental aspect of the Christian life, of our walk with Jesus, of even the church. Churches that are not, not praying, what are they doing? Who are they talking? You know, what, are the, what are they doing? So the game is over for Saul. The hunter 
has been hunted, has been apprehended, has been caught, snared, and now begins to taste freedom for the very first time. So are you opposing the work of God? Are you persecuting God's people in any way? Even for you, there is hope. Come to Jesus even right now. As you answer this question, are you persecuting me? That's what Jesus said to Saul. And as he says it to you, would you respond by coming to Jesus? Are you running from God? Are you hiding from his gentle gaze, from his piercing eyes? Hide no longer. Do you want to see? Do you want to truly see for the very first time? Come to Jesus. God stands waiting to save, to redeem, to give you a life that is truly life, eternal life. If all you've been living for is a lie, like Saul, you can repent and come to Jesus right now. You can stop what you're doing, you can pause this video, and you can talk to Jesus in your own words. And come to believing faith in him, repent of your sin, and he can enter your heart and become your Lord and Saviour. If you need help, contact us, get in touch, or get in touch with a local church near you, or any Christian that you know. Talk to them, ask them questions. We would love to help you in any way, with any questions you may have. Do get in touch with us to help you see Jesus more clearly, to help you see Jesus maybe for the first time. Please do get in touch. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for any hearts that have been touched by this message today. Would you come alongside them. Holy Spirit, would you awaken them like you awoke Saul, gave him eyes for the first time. And would you take them from darkness to light in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.